Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945. MSW Media. Hi, I'm Frances Callier. And I'm Angela V. Shelton. And we're Frangela. You know what you need in your life? Hmm. The Final Word Podcast. Yes, you do. That's right. It is the final word on all things political and pop cultural. Where we make real news real funny. Where we inspire you so you can hashtag resist. Subscribe and get a new episode of the Final Word Podcast each week. It's the news we think you need to hear. That's right. We think you need to hear it. Okay? Yeah, it's what we say so. That's right. And because all we do is give, every Thursday you can listen to our hysterical podcast, Idiot of the Week. We round up the stupid because you know what? Somebody has to. Okay. All we do is give. man here and they've met in real life. Full disclosure, everybody. Welcome to Podcast Land. I'm Fraz. I'm Miss Redacted. And my name is Jordan and I am a theater educator. And yes, we do know each other in real life. And we do know each other in real life. Do you educate the theater or do you teach children about the theater? I teach children about the theater or young people. I thought you were like at a play being like, time out, let's explain. Oh, no, people do that too, though. Like I could do that, but that is not currently my job. But I have friends who do that. So it's That's a real kind of thing. what we do before school days in school. Actually, I just did do that as well. Are you still at Theatricum? Yeah, I am. Yeah, that's where Jordan and I work together. We did like theater education together. And Jordan has just known me in so many iterations. He's known me for many, many years before my frontal lobe was done and after my frontal lobe was done. So bless his heart. He's seen some shit. You were there, I think, the day that my hands locked up when I had a nervous breakdown and the interns had to comfort me. Not the interns having to comfort you. They don't even get paid. Why'd you make them do that? Okay, I didn't. Listen, I was finishing the ed TPA. So for anybody who is a teacher who's like a classroom teacher who's listening to this probably just had a horrible heart palpitation and shut off the podcast because they're afraid. But at the time I was going through like a really rough patch and I was like, I'm not going to do the ed TPA. I'm actually going to wait and do it whatever in the fall or whenever. And my best friend and I got the bright idea that we were going to do the EdTPA in 72 hours. So we were just going to stay up. That was when Starbucks came out with the nitro cold brew. And now if you order a nitro cold brew, you can only get a grande. That rule was not in place when I was writing my EdTPA in 72 hours. So we went to Starbucks and we got two venti nitro cold brews, went home, took Adderall, and pounded it out. That was when I found out that I had ADHD because instead of turning into a machine, my brain just got quiet and I started crying because I was so happy that I could read a paragraph without my eyes skipping. But the bad thing was I was also on an SSRI at the time. Mm -mm -mm. Bad. Nope. So I did <laughs> 
ultimately finish my ed TPA, but I had to teach in the morning. And it was the first year that I was the education program's assistant. So I wasn't a teacher. I wasn't an intern anymore. I had like worked my way up the ranks, but I called my boss and I was throwing up on the freeway in LA. And I was like, something is really, really wrong with me. I didn't know it at the time, but I was diving into serotonin syndrome, if you know what that is. And I was like, something is so wrong. And my boss was like, we don't have anybody. We need you. So you need to get your ass here. And I don't think they have ever done that to anybody since because I did show up. There's like this little bridge that you have to cross to get onto the grounds of the theater. And I passed out on it. Then I came, got up and I like wandered down. I'm hysterically crying. My hands have locked in a position like little lobster claws and I cannot move them. So that scares me even more and I start more hyperventilating. Then I throw up in the leaves. The interns are milling about preparing for school days when a bunch of children are going to come onto the grounds. I am supposed to be meeting them for the first time as their boss. One of the interns who has like a very, he's like interested in mental wellness and stuff like that. He comes up to me very kindly. I'm on the phone with my best friend freaking out and he like takes me to an area and we like do some breathing and he calms me down and I'm okay well my boss sees me in this state and this is why I'm saying I don't think they ever did this to anybody again his like colleague reamed him out and was like if somebody says they're fucking sick they were like it's Ariel she's never like lied or made shit up to you before (laughs) like It's not like this person's unreliable. Like if she's saying she's fucking sick, something is wrong. It was because was going on that day. So couldn't. So he was being, yeah, I don't know if I was there for that, but I did hear about that. Yeah, I'm sure it made ripples. Um, so yes. Jordan and I know each other from the theater world and I'm so excited. Tell us a little bit about like what you do, where you've been, what your like journey is, everything. Yeah, I grew up in a teaching family. Like my mom was a teacher, was like, I'm never ever going to touch that ever. Uh, I interned at the same place and worked with Ariel at the same place where I still work a little bit at Theatricum Botanicum. Ended up teaching to fulfill my intern hours, which I think was the same case for Ariel. Yep, they make you. Ended up liking it, really liking it, loving it. And then from there, a mutual acquaintance of ours hired me to work at a full-time school, private school uh, on the west side. Jordan, I have to tell you something. Do you know So I got literally assaulted by a guy my first year teaching and he fucking works at her school. That's wild and also unsurprising because I'll explain why I left that job and it wasn't the students. It's never the students. Eh, Occasionally it is. Occasionally it could be, yeah. Some people on this podcast have had, not myself, I, every child I've ever taught is perfect, but I know some people on this podcast have had um, some students that definitely influence their decision to leave. Some may say we're the driving fact. Abby's Werner was shot by a six-year-old. That's tough. That's that's, that's a tough one. Yeah. But parents and admin would be would have been my two chief complaints at that school. The job was teaching theater, academic support, and teaching social and organizational skills to neurodivergent students, namely students on the autism spectrum, but some of them just had like an ADHD diagnosis and stuff. Really cool program and concept. I loved my students. 
I thought they were great. But the school, which is one of many schools in, in progressive cities, which touts its equity, diversity, and inclusion, and its commitment to those values was, of course, underneath it, institutionally racist, sexist. If teachers and students got into it, you know, we, we treated students differently disciplinarily based on how much their parents donated things like that. Definitely ableism in our department and the application process. And so for a lot of those reasons, I took a step back from that full-time educational position. I also made less per year salary than one student's tuition at our school, but I still tutor some of the kids who also couldn't afford to attend that school today. Uh, They'll be going to college next year, which is really exciting, and try to do the acting thing. I'm in the graduate school application process to try to teach at the college level and continue acting. And then uh, I do the theater education still, and I try to like carve out a living by doing those things. I think that you would be so wonderful at the collegiate level i think that's amazing i'd love to get there yeah i was close this year auditioned for about five schools at the old globe which is an amazing program they take seven people a year i got to the top 20 so i got really close hopefully next year i'll try again top 20 is huge fingers crossed. So your mom was a teacher and you were like, no, this is not the vibe for me. Was it working with kids the first time that made it switch? Or was there like another moment where you were like, maybe actually this is for me? In college, I went back to like the intro class and helped as like a teacher's assistant. I went to a tiny liberal arts school. But no, I think it was honestly, it was specifically teaching theater the first time with kids. Sort of like a bulb got lit. I think I was more open to it by the time I was like 20, 21 than I was, you know, growing up, but how much I liked it caught me by surprise. Like I had signed up to teach to fulfill my hours because I was like, okay, this is something I think I could do. But just how much I liked to do it was surprising. And then teaching at the collegiate level, that was something that I was pretty certain about going through undergrad. But the fact that I would enjoy along the way working with students from elementary school all the way through high school did not see that coming at all. This might be a dumb question, but do kids like theater? Uh, That's a great question. Depends. Because, <laughs> like, I know math is, like, generally children don't love math. Like, math that doesn't have the best reviews from kids. Right. It's like the summer programs that theatrical does that we do, those are kids that are all in on Shakespeare. Yeah. You get probably students whose parents are either actors or in the entertainment industry or who've already read the canon. Oh, yeah. Because I think we should clarify that we're specifically teaching Shakespeare pretty much. Yeah. God. From ages 2 to 18. At, at if you yeah. had let yeah. 12-year-old redacted into that Shakespeare class, I would have bullied those kids within an inch of their life. <laughs> the school days program that I was talking about, that's this program redacted that I told a story on the previous episode about how I accidentally brought kindergartners to an hour and a half long semi-inappropriate performance because I thought it was going to be a school day's cut. Oh! But they hadn't made the cut when my grade level signed on to come. So we were all surprised together. And that was the most embarrassing day of my life. That's this theater. I'm a big fan of this organization so far. (laughs) School days is always really interesting because you never know what you're going to get. You get kids from all over LA and you will get some kids who are loving it. They knew they were going to love it. You'll also have kids that are kind of low-key disrespectful, not really into it, feeling embarrassed. So they're projecting whatever, whatever it is. 
is. And then you'll have kids that come into it expecting to hate it and end up loving it and it like changes their life. That program is really special to me. I miss it a lot. It's a good program. Most of the stuff we go to, we're going to kids whose English teachers or theater teachers have signed them up who are not always fans, might not know anything about Shakespeare. I went to schools last year where students hadn't even seen a play before. And sometimes their reception are really positive. Sometimes they're less enthusiastic. They're a little more shy. But I'd say overall, a lot of people leave surprised. Another one of our bosses, who's an amazing educator, she found the theater like that. She came in as a teen expecting to hate it, really didn't want to be there, tried to like almost run away, she says, at the field trip. And then for whatever reason, it really touched her heart, her little angsty like teenage heart. And she's the reason I'm a teacher. That's amazing. And that doesn't surprise me. She's an exceptional educator in person. So many of the things that I tell my brain as a teacher are because of her. Same same like true lasting impact mm-hmm. our, our friend who's taken over for her they're they're awesome they're making sure to include schools that haven't been included before offer flexible pricing they're making sure that the folks that we're sending out to schools represent the like cultural makeup of los angeles even if the theater isn't pushing casting inclusively they're making sure in the programs that we're doing that we're trying to push casting inclusively so they're doing great work as well carrying on what our our sort of mentor was was starting to do it so, like makes me want to cry because i can't be there I, I wish you could we we could use you again we we miss having you why can't you go there did you get like banned or something it's so far away from my house i moved oh. to orange county so i'm not in la anymore and i literally was like oh, i'm not teaching this year so i can go and then i was like i'll take the baby with me and then i was like looking at the commute and i'm like it's an hour and a half okay well if i sync it up with nap time i can and then i'm like are you the queen of mount delulu like what the fuck are you talking about and then i'm like well wait 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 what if i get an airbnb in topanga and then i'm like okay we've gone off the <laughs> relax we've like, gone off the deep end yeah relax <laughs> qualms with leadership aside sometimes most of the people who go there are cool it's gotten better very slowly with a lot of push from us younger folks about holding any coercion of power accountable yeah like any place right like big highs and then huge huge lows that's described every job I've had. The other woman you're talking about who was like, if somebody's sick, they're sick. She was like, every place is a mess. You just have to find the mess that you're most suited to clean up and can best handle. And I thought that that was really like a game changer. That is so poetic. That's actually a mental hill that I should probably talk to a therapist about that I've been fighting recently. <laughs> is I was like, I just can never find a job where I feel like things are good. And then I realized it and I was like, oh, that's because everything is a shit show at every organization. Like at every organization organization there's incompetent people there's bad managers there's all of this and so I just need to get the fuck over my perfectionism because not everyone else is buying into that which if they did the world would be a better place if everyone could just be perfect all the time but it's just like relationships too yeah people that you marry or you're friends with or your family members you have to know that like nobody's perfect and like organizations are obviously made up of people so you have to not hang out with the bigots and the racists and the homophobes and the turfs but like everybody has their struggle and like you have to pick Mm -hmm. what you can deal with and not so much of what we do is so relationship based especially teaching especially theater would you ever go back to like full-time teaching at a school like outside of the collegiate setting or are you just like no no I'm gonna wait till I get that I mean ideally I would wait 
until I was in graduate school, finished the MFA, and then tried to go adjunct for quite a while. But getting into the master's programs, especially I have a small list, I don't want to go into debt, I'm looking at ones that are either free or that stipend your work. Getting into those is no sure thing. And um, I mean, financially, if I had to, I might have to before I want to, but ideally no. You just said the most professional way if I went back it'd be against my will essentially yeah be a decision made out of a, a dire necessity and not one of joy but you said it in a way that like if I was a potential employer I'd be like oh my god what a king like let's get him on in here let's get my man's employed Jordan is such a gentle soul Jordan has said many things to me that I'm like that was the nicest way anybody's ever told me you're kind of being a fucking idiot like reel it in I just really appreciate you so much because I feel like that is such a gift. Thanks, friend. I'm so happy that you're here. That is a gift. One I do not possess. Another friend of ours and, and me were co-teachers at this school where we taught full-time and she was the, I'm sending the blunt email, the information needs to get out, it's direct person. And I was the flowery, make the parents feel good, la-la person. And it wasn't because I was trying to like BS anybody. I think I just sometimes am very roundabout and like uh, long-spoken, but I'm glad that there's kindness associated with that in most situations that's that's good to hear i value that of you and you so much i know we kind of touched on a little bit your school where you were teaching full-time is there anything else that you'd like to add about that experience that kind of shaped your time there or... yeah you know definitely a wake-up call for like a very idealistic young i took the job at 23 and even my boss said at the time like probably a job for someone who's like in their 30s who wants to either go into being a, an mft a psychologist or like a school counselor as someone who also started teaching before my frontal lobe developed. I was 21 when I started teaching high school. Do not recommend. Dang. Why the fuck did they let me in there? The way <laughs> my first year teaching, I was not legally allowed to take my children on a field trip because I wasn't old enough to be a chaperone. And it was like, March. And then the field trip got canceled because of COVID. So it, there was no even point to that. So I feel like being in a classroom environment before your frontal lobe is developed, it's just like a, a lot of soaking in other people's problems that you're really like, if you're an empathetic person, which you seem like you are, it's just like a lot of people's emotions that you're just like not equipped to handle. <laughs> and honestly, the students' emotions were fine. The teachers, our colleagues, for the most part, were really great. It was administration. And our administrator, she was definitely caught between the financial wants of the school, which had decided to run itself like a business with trying to have a moral consciousness. But it's kind of like one of those things, right? If you like sell your soul, you move up to that position and all of a sudden you're making the kind of money that makes you go, okay, well, probably gonna go the route of the institution or the administration, even if you know it's wrong. The school would give very little financial aid to our program and they would charge an extra 10,000 year to do our program and to charge extra for neurodivergent students. I thought that that was kind of inherently wrong. But right before I first started, all of our students knew about whatever diagnoses they had. And then being like, okay, how can I work on it? I want to improve myself. I still want to like have class with neurotypical peers and also go someplace I feel like I can be understood. That was lifted right before I started. So we couldn't talk about what autism was or what ADHD was in a class that was all about working on executive functioning, organizational skills, and social skills because some of the students didn't know they had a diagnosis or had been lied to by their parents about having a diagnosis. Uh, and that was because high paying parents were like, I'm not going to tell my student that this exists, but I want you to still help my student overcome this thing that they have that exists. And that was the wrong take because it was like, you. first of all, it's not something you overcome. It's something you manage and 
that is something that makes you different, but it's something that is still an inherent part of you. Like we had really exceptionally gifted, brilliant students, not despite their diagnosis, but like sometimes because of their diagnosis, their brains worked in really unique, creative, engaging ways, whether it was like through hyper-focusing or creativity or really out of the box thinking or just exceptional skills at like programming or mathematics. And instead of really pushing that, we had to veil and disguise and not talk about the elephant in the room. And it was like, that's not going to help them feel comfortable with themselves. And it's not going to lead to growth. That makes me so angry. And I feel like this is my pet parent peeve is like, I'm going to sound like a, like an 80 year old man from South Georgia right now. But parents that coddle the shit out of their children, especially children that have some kind of diagnosis or some kind of social emotional issue, like whatever it may be, if it's not an official diagnosis, because when has anyone ever been better off from not knowing something about themselves? And even if they are in the mindset of it's something to overcome, which I disagree with, I agree with what you said, like it's just a part of you, it's not like a hill to overcome, but even just to try and like get in their headspace, even if it's a big thing you have to overcome shouldn't you be very informed about that thing and you're just robbing your child of the opportunity to learn how to advocate for themselves and learn how to communicate their needs and learn how to understand themselves and then they're just going to hate themselves because they're going to be like what Precisely. the fuck's wrong with yeah. me i know that like other people aren't experiencing this like why do i feel this way why is this hard for me I struggled growing up a lot because it was just like okay suck it up like you're not trying hard enough like that was always the narrative yeah you're not trying you can do it you just are lazy you know what have you you need to have coping mechanisms and you need to have little things that you do to know yourself so that you can function not only like in society but just within your own mind I mean I've had times where I was like I'm so frustrated by living in my own brain and that relief has only come after I learned more about myself so that makes me really sad for those students yeah i think it's very like disempowering to do that to your child 100 like i think it's a at the end of the day and because it's a private school i'll talk shit <laughs> i think it's very common among wealthy parents to have that sense of control over their child and i've seen it manifest in this way more than once where they use their wealth as a method of control over their child to ensure their child's meeting their expectations not that their child's their own person <laughs> very often it didn't come from being about the child at all especially with autism right strong evidence of genetic passing on the parent more often than not was probably undiagnosed neurodivergent in those situations and didn't want to admit an imperfection about themselves. We had, we had one girl who was proud of her diagnosis and knew about her diagnosis, couldn't tell her grandparents, couldn't tell her sisters, disobeyed her parents to tell her sisters, which props Good for to her. her. What's her name? Let's get her on the podcast. How old yeah, is she? It was like, as her people, we couldn't, we had to go, oh, oh yeah, for sure, to her parents about it being a problem, her telling people, and then very slyly be like, we think she should tell her sisters. You know what I mean? That type of thing was hard. Before we talk more about theater stuff, we're gonna talk about some people who want to sell you stuff. Bye. So I'm just kind of curious because I've only ever taught history. So like the extracurricular, not to call it an extracurricular, I think theater's integral to our educations, but you know what I'm saying. Is there an interesting spread of like different ages having different opinions on it? Because I've always felt like it's way easier to get older kids into history than younger kids because I think for younger kids, it's just hard for them to understand and it's hard to rally them. So to like the big ones or the little ones like it better? Uh, you know, it depends on what you're teaching and how you teach it. I feel like the little ones, 
scenes are more down to like if you're doing a theater game or you're trying to make them be silly because they're less self-conscious and peer pressure is not that like major focus they're the ones who are easier to get to be silly and do something sort of off the walls or creative however my minor was in international studies and when i tutor i specialize in tutoring in english lit and history and theater is very similar it's definitely way more enriching to work with older students especially those who are like game to do theater because you can talk about some of the nuances and the complexities and the societal implications and real world connections that make plays or theater still universal just like you can in advanced literature class or in a history class right you could still have a social justice curriculum right with small students but you have to be very introductory and general in how you in encounter it whereas with high schoolers with theater i can talk to them about the complexities of misogyny in shakespeare's time and how we can circumvent that by like casting the play differently today right i can talk to them about inherent anti-semitism and how to look at a play like merchant of venice and then maybe tell it from a lens which combats anti-semitism same thing with a play like othello and systemic racism it's like how do we go about teaching a play which has some inherently racist language or aspect and then how do we cast it in an era where we want to cast consciously and open things up to actors of different identities and then secondly how is this play still relevant because if it's not still relevant to tackling the issues of today's society if we can't ultimately look at the play through a lens which creates empathy for the people being oppressed then it's like why why are we bothering to do it when we have so many plays from BIPOC writers or, or for, from Jewish playwrights or from all sorts of different groups if we can't get Shakespeare's plays to do that for example it's like we gotta move on to the plays from those communities so that's part of my job and the high schoolers are ready to tackle that and can understand okay this is both a product of the time and something that we can combat or comment on or learn from in the way that this play is approached so you can't do that with little ones but the little ones will move their bodies i love teaching shakespeare to the little babies but not for those reasons i think that so much of what i do today and so much of who i am as an educator is because i did theater and I took classes that really made me look at the world critically through art and um, I really value that. The whole world of like very active education like PE or theater or like something that's a lot more like you know not like a chair education right. that fascinates me so much and I really applaud y'all because I always would joke with my students that like I hate fun like whenever the district would be like put all their desks in a circle I'd be like shut the fuck up like I'm not gonna do that I don't want to do that like when I was a kid when a teacher said like now everybody get up I'd be like I have to go to the nurse like I've I've always just hated activities and fun and things like that so I really admire y'all for having to deal with the me's of the world because I like just can't imagine teaching in that environment when someone's not being cooperative because when someone's not being cooperative in a more like secondary academic environment, I can kind of be like, great, be silently uncooperative over there while we all do this. If I can tell it's pushing a specific student's boundaries, for example, right now I'm teaching an after school residency where I'm directing a Midsummer Night's Dream for third through fifth graders. And it's at a public school, it's a free program. So the kids, there's if they drop out, there's nothing we can do. And 
they all have varying comfort levels. We have students whose English is a second language or we're neurodivergent or we're just not comfortable saying lines. And then of course we have students who do like commercials, right? Who are like, I'm made for this. Who are like named after Shakespeare characters. <laughs> They're like, where's my trailer? Exactly. <laughs> and then we have like students who want to like, I want to be a fairy. I don't want to play. I don't want to have any lines, right? And it's like, if a student is genuinely uncomfortable, like this makes them uncomfortable. It's like, how do you gently push without going to a place that really like makes them feel discomfort or anxiety or something like that? Because like, if it's not going to happen, it's not going to happen. It becomes a losing battle and it's not productive to them. And then it's not productive for everyone else either. Like, I, I get it. You have a boundary. That's okay. Yes. And how many times like as students of theater or as actors are our boundaries pushed in an uncomfortable way? I mean, that's why now we have the rise of intimacy coaches because yeah. how many people have been pushed into very uncomfortable situations i know and the arts should be really a safe space if they're gonna be in a place where they like you said aren't ready they could look at the arts through a lens of like this is bullshit and i was traumatized and like that's not what we want exactly and there's like this inherent power dynamic too where you're like a theater educator and especially if the kids want to do stuff sometimes they'll push their own boundaries i know i have in the past where i'm like i want this part so i'm gonna do whatever this director says you know anything that has an element of performance to it whether it's standing up in front of the class giving a presentation doing theater whatever it's such a tricky situation as a teacher and that's a really hard line to balance and I know it's something that I think all of us are like conscious of of like I want to like push you to your potential and I want to push you for things that you don't think you can do because I know you can do them but also if you're setting a boundary and you're uncomfortable I don't want to make you uncomfortable and that's such a hard line because that line looks different for everybody and like people's reactions to that are so different like for me if you even get close to a boundary like I'm gonna fucking scream at you and you're gonna be aware but I know for other people like that's something that's harder for them to do so it's always my fear and the like as a teacher in those I'm like are you okay I don't want to make you perform yeah I think there's an advantage I think like you said Frasm if you know you're neurodivergent and you go into teaching it allows you to be more empathetic and understanding with other students who are more neurodivergent. If you go in, like you were saying, redacted, and you're someone who, when you were called up for activities, got viscerally uncomfortable, you have that empathy for and, and that care to look out for students who might be uncomfortable with that as well. It's like using the things that you learned from what teachers didn't do for you growing up to be a better teacher yourself. And I think that's something that a lot of teachers of our generation are becoming increasingly adept at. There's so many things that I did as a theater teacher, though, that I'm able to bring into my classroom that are so helpful for like community building. And one of the things that people literally love that I've posted on TikTok is magic rocks which I know, Jordan, you know Magic Rocks. I stole it from Theatricum. For the little littles. Yeah. I mean, things like that are so helpful to just like get silly. And bringing that into an academic space does have a lot of benefit. As much as I said, I love teaching theater to like the older students and would love to teach at the collegiate level, I think it's extremely beneficial for the social emotional development, especially of really young people. I'm not a theater person. I've always admired the community. And I feel like after this podcast, I even more aggressively admire the community. She's a theater kid advocate. Mm, I don't know if I would take it that far. We can't say (laughs) I'm a theater kid like supporter because then people I went to high school with are going to be like, you said very mean things to me about my theater involvement. And I'm going to be like, well, you kind of deserved it. So... (laughs) Oh my god. Redacted high school classmates are going to cancel her. The theater kids are coming. 
I find it hilarious that back in the day, all the little popular girlies at school who didn't follow me back on Instagram, they'd be in my fucking comment section now. They'd be DMing me, hey, how'd you get followers? Bitch, be funnier. <laughs> I told you that when you were terrible in your first theater performance. Still stands. Holy Just kidding. God. I would never say that to anyone. There's like the kids who want to major in theater and do it as a career. And then there's like the theater kids, you know, like if you ever seen SNL skit about theater kids, there's that group of theater kids. They sort of pollute the waters for everyone no, else. No, they do. They're giving you all a terrible reputation. The <laughs> high school that I went to had very much glee vibes of our theater department. I remember one time I came into school. It was like pouring rain, disgusting outside. I walk in and the theater kids are in this little like lobby area, like acting out, pretending to be rain, like crowding up the hallway. And I was like, be so fucking serious right now. I was like, we have places to be. You're taking up all this fucking space. And that's why I'm glad we're having you all on this podcast, because I think that the worst of your community is doing your PR. And I hate that for you guys. Yeah. What I will say is a lot of those kids are looking for a place to belong. And it's like, okay, this is my thing where I can be extremely strange. And were that more acceptable among the peer group with like more empathy and understanding, then perhaps it wouldn't get all blasted in that way, you know? So like, there's definitely societal things to fix but oh my gosh it can be incredibly annoying to outside behind folks. every annoying child is a child in pain for my friend group it was such a safe space for people that were queer or gay and didn't have a place to be that that's the other thing yeah that's something that i really cherished about it but like yeah it's it's hard to be trying to find your place in the world and be kind of weird or neurodivergent or whatever i'd love to see like a venn diagram of these things it'd be really interesting yeah, yeah. <laughs> Our theater teachers that we were trying to impress were also kind of off the rails sometimes. I mean, you're trying to get the attention of somebody who can tell you if you get to do the thing you want to do or not. You might do the same thing in an athletic setting with your coach, but not in the same way at all. Have we ever had a theater kid president? Like Reagan acted, but he was a total bigot, so. No, yeah, no, 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 he doesn't count. No. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't count, definitely not him. Um, no, but like a lot of the values that you're saying, I feel like are just what we need more as a society. Like, and if that's not a case for the arts in schools, I don't know what is. And I think that's what makes Fraz and I like passionate about like still being able to do it is like, it doesn't really matter if a kid stays with theater. It's like, can we impart these values of empathy, inclusion, acceptance for your ensemble, for who you're working with? To work past societal boundaries yeah again you could do the same thing with music dance sports yeah. you can do it with anything so many things so many ways to empower kids and like advocate for others and yourself as toxic and harmful as theater environments can be because it's a double-edged sword when you're very vulnerable and seeking acceptance there's good there's bad but i mean i'm so so thankful that you joined us jordan i just really appreciate your perspective i always have and i'm so happy that we could kind of uh, not work together again i don't know what to call this but like catch up in a in this way it's been an absolute joy it's like obviously it's nice to catch up with you because oh my goodness a lot has happened since we last since when last we spoke i really appreciate you having me on and like being able to talk about this stuff and i think it's really important like to also hear the perspective of someone who's like that stuff would have made me frustrated because i think that's another thing is like how how can we make that student feel comfortable while not over you know what i mean it's just i think it's good to get a really balanced perspective and that's why i appreciated fielding 
hearing things from like the both of you. Every student needs such an individualized approach. We're all just individuals struggling out here. So everyone get in touch with your inner theater kid and accept yourself. Thank you so much for joining us this week on Teacher Quit Talk. A special thanks to Peter G 2.0, who says, eye-opening and real. I'm a central office administrator who works in teaching, coaching, curriculum, and hiring. This podcast has forced me to look at my own behavior and it's changed me as an administrator for the better. Peter, we love you. Stop. Thank you, I'm Peter. Grow up. That's the nicest. Like, sorry to everyone else that said something nice <laughs> to me, but there's very few times that I'm like, yeah, me spending 18 hours a day on the internet is good. Like, I'm making a good <laughs> impact on the world, but that one did it. That scratched that itch. Yeah, that's Thank like a make all. a difference type of comment. And we will be back next week with someone. Who's to say? Maybe just the two of us. We'll still have quit and we'll still be talking. That's two things you can count on. All right, love you. Just as a disclaimer, because I am someone who is actively teaching, everything on this podcast is my personal opinion and does not reflect my district, my state, my employer, my students, or my admin. Everything on this podcast was recorded on personal time, on personal equipment, and is a completely separate endeavor from my school district. Yeah, leave her alone.